Welcome to Pro Life in 7 Minutes, the show where I spend over 20 minutes teaching you how you can persuade a pro choice person in only 7. I'm your host, Katherine Burrow. I'm the co founder and executive director of the Abortion Dialogue Academy, also known as ADA. Let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. This is such an exciting episode to be recording. As I'm assuming all of you know, unless you've been literally living under a rock, Roe v. Wade has been overturned. I was such an optimist. I totally believed it was going to happen. But that day, that Friday morning, when my husband woke me up with the news, I was still just in awe. It it still just didn't feel real to me. I just it feels like Roe has been this almost just staple that we just we thought we were going to have forever. And to see it gone, ah, my heart is just, it's just so happy. So I wanted to do an episode on what being pro-life looks like in a post-Roe v. Wade world. Because when I first got into pro-life activism back when I was 17, I kind of thought that the whole point of this movement was to overturn Roe v. Wade, and that when we did that, we would be done, so to speak. Uh, and as I spent the past, you know, nine years working full time in this movement, I've learned that unfortunately there is more work to be done, um, even in a post Roe v. Wade society. So we're going to talk about what that looks like for all of you listening. Um, but first, I need your help with a couple of things. Can you? go and leave us a positive review on iTunes. So some people have been struggling to find our podcast on Apple Podcasts in particular. And part of that is because um, we've gotten a couple of negative reviews from pro-choice people. Not a lot, but what it does is it reduces your rating, which then makes it harder for people to find you through organic searching. And Right now, there are so many kind of angry pro-choice people coming out of the woodworks because of Dobbs. And there are a lot of pro-life advocates out there who really would benefit from this podcast and this resource so that they can have a better, more persuasive, more compassionate response to those pro-choice people in their life. By you taking, you know, five minutes out of your day to go to Apple, to iTunes, and leave us a review, that will help those people get this resource. So if it's helped you out, help other people out and go leave us a review. That'll just help kind of counterbalance um, the people who leave reviews, probably without listening to the show. I mean, I wish they listened to the whole show. That would make me really happy, actually, if a purchase person did that. But yeah, that's a one way that you can really help us out. Now let's dive into talking about what pro-life activism looks like in a post-Roe v. Wade society. So in many ways, it's going to look a lot like the same things because Roe was kind of this obstacle that was preventing the pro-life movement from being able to make really big leaps and strides um, in in our movement. And so now that it's gone, we're going to be doing a lot of the same activities, but they're going to be able to have a lot greater impact. So the pro-life movement, I typically like to describe it as having kind of three segments to it. There's the legal side of things, you know, trying to get pro-life laws and legislation passed. There's the pregnancy help side, trying to help people, you know, choose life for their children and support them in that choice. And then there's the cultural side of it, trying to persuade our society of the humanity of the unborn. So those are kind of the three components. So the first thing I want to talk about is the legal. So what the Supreme Court essentially did is they returned the right to restrict abortion to the states. And so now it's going to be a legal battle in 
50 states. And states are going to fall into one of three kind of categories. The first is you're going to have kind of the easily outlaw abortion states. We've got, you know, Texas, Missouri, Mississippi, several states that have already almost totally banned abortion. So you'll have those states. Then you'll have what I call the battleground states, states where, you know, it kind of could go either way, like it could become outlawed or abortion rights could become, you know, more laxed in a post-Roe v. world. It just kind of depends on how elections go. And then finally, you'll have kind of the pro-choice stronghold states. So those would be like, you know, California, New York. So even in an amazing scenario where abortion becomes illegal in all 50 states, these kind of holdout states would be, in my opinion, the very last ones that would maybe ever switch to the pro-life side. What does this mean for us as pro-life advocates? Well, it's going to be really important now more than ever that you're involved in the political process and that you're you're voting pro-life. Now, ADA is a 501c3 nonprofit, so I cannot tell you who to vote for, uh, but I can tell you that you should vote and you should vote pro-life, whatever that means to you. And that's going to become really important because, you know, as our local legislators pass laws, those laws could result in the life or death of children because pro-life laws, they, they really do save lives. So that's the legal aspect. Now, the second aspect is the pregnancy help. Now, this is going to become extremely, extremely important in a post-Roe v. Wade world because there are going to be states where abortion is illegal. And that means that there are going to be a lot more women choosing life. And those women are going to need support and resources. So back when Texas passed their heartbeat bill, a good friend of mine who's pro-life, he reached out to me and he was like, hey, what pregnancy center in Texas like, can I support? Can I make a donation to? Uh, because he recognized that like, while this was a great victory for unborn babies, there were going to be a lot more moms in need. And I thought that was such a beautiful thing to do as a pro-life advocate, you know? To not just post victoriously on Facebook about the heartbeat bill, but to be like, hey, I want to put my money behind, you know, actually supporting unwed mothers and, you know, their unborn babies. So where can I give? Where can I donate? That's one thing I would love to encourage all of my listeners to do if you're able, you know, now more than ever, the pregnancy centers and not just the pregnancy centers, but, you know, all of the charities that help support, you know, low income women, children, families, like they really need your help. The demand for their services is going to go up. Like, Let's show people that, you know, the stereotype about pro-lifers not caring about the baby after birth is, is not true. And let's go and support these services. I think what a better way to celebrate, you know, the end of Roe v. Wade than, you know, making an honorary donation uh, to your local PRC. I just think that's a really great uh, tribute that my friend did. And I think we should all follow in his example. So that's the second component. And then the third component is the cultural component. My personal opinion is that the overturning of Roe v. Wade was, it feels kind of like a Hail Mary. <laughs> I mean, the fact that in the four years that he was president, Donald Trump was able to appoint three Supreme Court justices to reverse this ruling. It's just... It feels miraculous to me, I think, because I know from my work kind of where the culture is at. And if you've been on social media, like at all, you're probably also kind of aware of where the culture is at. And so there's still a lot of work to be done on the cultural front, because the truth is, is that it is 100% true that pro-life laws save lives. 
But if a woman really, really wants an abortion where there's a will, a lot of times there's a way. It's going to be really important that we persuade people to be pro-life because the pro-life legislature alone, the laws are not enough to totally stop abortion. And that's kind of our thing at the Abortion Dialogue Academy. Like our mission is to end abortion, Um, not just make it illegal, but to end it. And to do that, we've got to change the culture on this topic. Because if we don't, women are just going to, you know, take the abortion pill illegally, or they're going to drive to California or New York or Illinois, or any of those other kind of holdout states. So really important that we don't stop this kind of cultural work. Um, And that's actually why with the Abortion Dialogue Academy, like we have every intention of continuing to expand even into those really strong pro-life states where abortion is illegal and will probably stay that way. Because it's really important that we still reach those people and persuade them to be pro-life so that all the people in like, you know, Texas and Missouri and Mississippi are not just, you know, going to the states next door to them or getting the abortion pill illegally. Now, while we're on the topic of the culture, let's talk about social media again. The thing that we have to recognize as pro-life advocates is while Roe v. Wade being overturned is an amazing source of celebration for us, for a lot of pro-choice people, they're reacting to it kind of with this feeling like that it's like physically endangering them, you know, because in the pro-choice worldview, the unborn child is not a person. It's kind of like in their mind, the government's about to start like handing out babies to people who don't want them. Now, that may seem really silly to us and not like a very accurate way to view the situation, but that is how they are perceiving it. They are perceiving it like they've just lost what was once guaranteed health care that was essential to their safety and well-being. Not necessarily an accurate way to view it, once again, but that explains a lot of the fight or flight aggression and panic and the volatility that you're seeing on social media. And I just want to encourage all of you to recognize that when you're trying to persuade someone, sometimes it's also really important to take into account when is the best time to talk about this. Now, we know this as kids, you know, like I always knew growing up the best and the worst times to ask my mom for something I wanted. So my mom used to be a Eucharistic minister at mass. So for those of you who are not Catholic, that that means she would serve the wine at the mass. And because in the Catholic faith, we believe that that is the actual body and blood of Christ, uh, you have to drink it all after mass. You can't just dump it out, so to speak. But a lot of times the other Eucharistic ministers were rather old, which meant that they really couldn't be drinking a whole cup to two cups of wine, which meant my mom would sometimes get, you know, two to three to four cups of wine after mass which meant that after mass was the best time to ask my mom for anything. (laughs) Like literally anything. We got all of the donuts after mass. She was always in a great mood. (laughs) That being said, when is not a good time to ask my mom for something is it when she's in the middle of like a busy, stressful work call. And so like as kids, we know like, hey, like there's good and bad times to talk about this. But then somehow it's like, I feel like we kind of forget that as adults, especially when we're talking to someone who we don't agree with politically, because we're like, well, they just need to be persuaded now. And I just want to encourage you that if you have friends and family that are like freaking out about the Roe v. Wade decision, I think it's important that we discern Seriously, you know, what is the best time, place, and medium to use to talk to this person about this issue instead of just, you know, kind of impulsively responding to something that 
they say on social media that's dumb or infuriating because I know it's very tempting to do. But the median also matters a lot too. You know, if you're seeing them in person, you know, maybe you can have a good, uh, calm, compassionate conversation. Uh, or maybe you can't. That's the other thing. Like we tell this to our student volunteers all the time. You know, sometimes you get into a conversation and the purchase person just cannot calm down. And if they can't calm down, they're not going to be able to hear your intellectual arguments. They're not going to be able to think reasonably and nothing productive is going to come from this conversation. So it's okay to end the conversation and revisit it at a future date where maybe they're a little more calm. So there is a little bit of hysteria right now because of the newness of the ruling. So it also might be strategic to maybe delay the conversation a little bit until some of that initial hysteria calms down. Because as I talked about in kind of my earliest episodes, like the purchase person has to be calm if you're going to persuade them on the abortion issue. And if they are in such fight or flight mode because of Dobbs that they just can't hear anything pro-life without freaking out, probably not the best or the most strategic time to talk to them about it. So I just want to encourage all of you that being prudent about when and how we talk about this issue is not the same as, you know, chickening out or not defending our views. But I know that for myself, sometimes I I see something posted and I just feel like I have to respond to it because I know the response or the thing that was said was particularly dumb. But I remind myself like, hey, there's a human person at the other end of that post. What is the most effective way to try and reach them on this issue? Uh, Because if we're not being effective in our reaching of them, then what are we doing? We're just, you know, aggravating them and giving them another negative experience with a pro-life person to kind of continue that false stereotype of what we are all like. That's my two cents on social media. I hope it's helpful to all of you. This was a shorter episode. Um, Next week's episode is going to be on our statistics. I'm very excited about it. So if you are curious to know, you know, how do we collect this data? What does the data say? Who is harder to persuade, men or women? who is more persuasive, female or male volunteers, uh, and what other factors impact persuasion. Uh, We're going to have a really interesting, very fun episode on all of that numbers. So that'll be our next episode. So tune in for that. If you liked today's episode, you can help support the channel by leaving us a five-star review. Make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. And if you haven't yet, sign up for our podcast email list on our website. That's www.abortiondialogacademy.org slash podcast. That way you get all the training exercises from the show delivered right to your inbox. Now I will see all of you next Saturday as I continue to teach you how you can persuade someone to be pro-life in seven minutes. Until next week, God bless.